Preaching at Riverside is intimidating in and of itself. And often when I look out into the congregation and see colleagues in ministry, it makes it more so. But I can tell you there is nothing more intimidating than having to preach with this choir right under me. <laughs> you are lifting me up, and I am grateful. Recently, I've had conversation with several families about what we as a church value and what they as a family should value as well. And it struck me that that is really something that all of us need to be asking in our faith lives. And this morning's text speaks directly to that from the Gospel according to Mark, the 8th chapter, verses 27 through 38. May God lift up to us an understanding of this word. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah, the Christ. And then Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. After, in three days, he will rise again. He said this all quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples and us implied, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He then called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. It was probably 30 years ago now when CBS News did an expose on the city of Asheville because they had been told that Asheville was the perfect combination between the Bible Belt and the New Age movement that was just taking root. A friend of mine who lived there at the time concurred. She said the clues to Asheville's becoming the center of the New Age movement was made clear in the newspaper advertisements, and she sent me some. If you want acupuncture, crystals, classes in healership, harvesting botanicals and herbals, environmentally friendly futons, and myofacial release, 
then Asheville is the place for you. Another read, introducing phyto bears. Looks like a gummy bear, tastes like candy, but each phyto bear contains a proprietary blend of uh, freeze-dried broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, garlic, kale, onion, papaya, turnip, and freeze-dried aloe vera extract. No artificial colors or sugar. Your kids will love them. Sure. <laughs> and another one said, embracing your soul, living your essence, connect with your higher self and receive its loving guidance and wisdom. Call forth your soul's purpose and live the highest expression of your being. Open your clairvoyant ability to perceive the world of energy and spirit. Feel more deeply the full range of human and divine emotions. It's not too late. You can get all that in a four-day seminar by the end of September. Or how about a day-long seminar on the book Happiness in Eight Minutes? This is a fusion of all things, and, and all things religious and spiritual, and in that sense, it's generally a good thing. And in a way, I think it's become our sort of new national religion, defined by our own personal quest and meaning for spiritual life, for good health, for happiness, for fulfillment, a religious center that connects to all things. Hear me now. These are generally good things. I am excited about the merger of the Eastern and Western way of life, about how we are coming to see how organic and interconnected we are as a body, both physically, spiritually, mentally, racially, in every possible way. They're generally good things. But my concern is this generally good spiritual quest is that it is a means to an end and the end is me. Me. How will I find meaning? How will I get more spiritual? Recently I was walking in a cemetery that went back to the 17th century and on one tombstone a Dr. Stewart it read, he lived his life as he died in Christ. And it occurred to me how strange that was because these days what we are most willing to say when we are born again or when we are converted is that Christ is in me. But in those days it was turned around. We are in Christ and that makes a whole lot of difference. Christ is right, real life is found in living out our lives in Christ. And the way that looks is the way Christ looked. It's about losing your life in order to find it. It's about a process of carrying our cross, a cross that calls us to love and to suffer for others. To face up to the own, our own broken places in each of us. And we cannot do this in a general way. For this, you see, is the scandal of particularity. 
Love, by definition, cannot be a concept. It can only be an act. When he was a pastor of New York's Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, David H.C. Reed preached a sermon in which he lamented the growth of America and what he calls religion in general. He said it takes many forms. It is equated sometimes with nationalism and patriotism or civic busyness as contributing to one's moral rating in the ledger book of heaven. Reed said, religion in general emerges from a subtle and unconscious connection of the American way of life. It tends to be self-centered, individualistic, and offers little in particular. Little in particular. This is exactly what Jesus is facing when he walks with his disciples into Caesarea Philippi. It was, in those days the Mecca of religion in general. It was 25 miles north of Galilee. It was thought to be the seat of all the great rivers and waters. The Jordan River sprang from that place. It was right at the foot of Mount Hermon where many of Israel's prophets had spent time in, uh, in, in God's presence. It was surrounded by 14 pagan uh, temples uh, devoted to the Baal gods, it was the seat, according to Greek legend, of Pan, the god of nature, where pantheism was born. There it was, all of it gathered in this one place. And Jesus gathers with his, with his disciples and asks them this particular question. I know what it's saying out there. I know what everybody's saying about who. Who do you say that I am? Oh, you're, you're John the Baptist. You're, you're Elijah. You're, you're one of the... Uh, ways God makes who do you say I am Jesus says and Peter blurts out you're the Christ he got the answer right but he had no idea of the concept a 12 year old once asked his pastor this same question in a different way he looked at his pastor and asked what's so great about Jesus You are the Messiah, Peter says. That's what's so great about you. He had no idea what he was saying. Peter wanted a generally successful religious Messiah with no cross in it and no suffering. Instead, he wanted a get-out-of-this-everything-I-can Messiah. Who doesn't? Two churches in the same city with basically exactly the same format, building, music program, everything closely the same. One is growing, the other is not. When the church growth people came and studied the churches, what did they discover? The church that was not growing as much as the one that had a cross being prominently displayed in the sanctuary. The one that was growing more did not have a cross Church growth people say, if you want to grow a church, don't talk too much about crosses and suffering and self-giving. Paul said to the church at Corinth, Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. 
The core value of Christianity is this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came to show us one thing, and that is how much God loves us, and therefore, Jesus, the Son of God, was willing to die on the cross to tell us that, not to appease God, not to satisfy God's need for justice, not as an atonement sacrifice for God, but for us as God's people, Jesus hung on the cross to tell us just that. God loves us unconditionally. It's the core value of Christianity. This suffering love upon the cross of God's love for us. And not only that, it calls for us to pick up our own cross, not Jesus' cross, our cross, and to bear it in suffering servanthood for our neighbors, even if it costs us something too. A working parent who doesn't really like his job keeps it because he needs to pay the bills to keep his family going. He's carrying his cross. A mother decides to stay at home and take care of her kids even though she knows she needs to work or works even though she'd rather stay at home and care for her kids. In either case, she's carrying the cross. You make a mistake in life, a regret, and you just can't brush it off. You just can't get on with life. You have to own it, and it becomes the crux, the cross of what you were then and who you will become now. And you understand what forgiveness and amazing grace is all about at that very place where you were broken. No, general religion here, this is cross-shaped religion. It's cruciform. Maybe we don't like it because we just have too many crosses out in the world and we just want to come to church to find a place where we don't have to deal with crosses anymore. There is no church without a cross. In the movie Selma, when Dr. King and the people are making their way over the Edmund Pettus Bridge to face their tormentors, their cross, the overlay music was glory. It's wrapped by common and oversung by John Legend. And as that music rises and falls, glory, 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 God's glory is coming. What we see are the people getting hammered. Hammered. That's glory. And in fact, it is According to the cross of Christ, it is hammered and hammered and hammered into the hands and feet of God's love. And everywhere the people suffer in the name of that love, that cross is present. PBS NewsHour several weeks ago, maybe months, had this amazing juxtaposition of where we are in our world today and and the, and the reality of the cross of Christ. There was this woman being interviewed who'd just written a book 
that came from when her five-year-old kindergarten daughter got out of school and got in the car and said, Mom, did you know that you and I are both made in the image of God? Her mother freaked out because she was an atheist and didn't know what to do with her daughter who now had heard about God. So she wrote this book called Relax, It's Just God, How to Talk to Your Children About Religion When You're Not Religious. Her point was to help non-religious parents. You ready for this? Provide an unbiased setting for their children to make their own decision. The parents are unbiased, clearly define themselves as non-believers, and yet they're expecting their children to grow up and make their own independent decisions. Now, that's in juxtaposition to this other segment. It was an interview with Kent Brantley, who was a missionary doctor who served in Liberia last year during the Ebola crisis. It turns out that he uh, contracted the disease and was life-flighted to Emory Hospital and was one of the few people who received that a new medicine that they hope will help the Ebola uh, illness. When interviewed, he was asked why he had agreed uh, to be tested with this new drug, and he responded that he had pretty well accepted that he was probably going to die, but at least he could be a guinea pig to help others. Turns out he didn't die, but received amazing care from the physicians. The interviewer, trying to bait Dr. Brantley, knowing he was a deeply committed Christian, asked him, so what rule uh, did your faith play in all of this? Trying to bait him to say, because I was faithful, God healed me. Dr. Brantley responded, that's a hard question to answer. I try not to compartmentalize my life into this faith life or this work life. This is my family life. I don't do that because my faith is an integral part of who I am. It's the lens through which I view everything in life, so I can't separate this experience from my faith. The interview continued, some say the difference isn't your faith, but that you are an American who received the best treatment on the planet. That's what really got you well. The doctor didn't bite again. He said, I don't disagree with that statement. I don't think there's anything special about my faith that saved my life. If anything, this is it. This is it. This was so it. If anything, that faith put me into a position where I got Ebola in the first place. It took me to care for those people. I'm thankful for Emory Hospital, the State Department, and all the doctors and nurses who helped me through this. I don't say it was my faith that saved me and not the health care workers, but I do believe that it was God who used those people to save my life, not because of my great faith, it just is. I therefore give God the credit. Would you do it again, he asked. The doctor responded, yes. This is the kind of life God has called us to. Actually, we are really eager to get back to a life where we're not doing book tours, but to a life where we're serving others, because that's where we find joy. There is nothing generally religious here, but a particular faith in a particular man whose particular suffering on the cross for love's sake 
is for each of us. And he bids us to follow and become his particular kind of people. This is the core value of Christianity. Christianity.